in the hearts of people, uh, in our culture, and how it's being shaped, and, and what does that mean for the church? It, uh, looking across the landscape, like it's been really interesting. I, I've been trying to follow this stuff as much as I can. I have a lot of friends and, and um, even some family members that live overseas in China. Um, one of my good buddies lives in Wuhan, and so we've, we've been kind of navigating and talking through some of that uh, and what's been going on. So I've seen that kind of shift when, I mean, when they shut down like Italy, like when the whole nation was like, hey, we're, we're closing up and all of the stories that are coming out of that, right? Then you start seeing it come here. Um, you had the, the stock markets just plummeting. You have uh, major sports, right? That was like, for me, was like, unfortunately, was like the eye-opener. Like, oh my God, no March Madness. Like, that's the real madness, you know, that type of idea. Like, it, and it's so weird, but that was the thing because I just watched so much sports. I was like, well, this is different. This is, this is something massive. And, and most of you probably caught on way before I did. Uh, but just kind of navigating this reality is something that we have to be really intentional with because we're God's people, okay? And, and I think that's true for all of humanity, but God calls the church to a couple specifics that we'll navigate through today um, that really must be the foundational realities that shape how we live a faithful presence today. The first has to do with our own hearts, and the second has to do with our own actions, right? So what do we believe in times like this, and how do we love in times like this? And so that's kind of the idea. I was on a phone call with a dear friend of mine. She used to follow Christ, would say she does not follow Christ anymore, uh, and she was just saying, kind of talking about her life and talking about the, the chaos of the world, and she said, as we were kind of getting towards the end, I just would really love some peace from it all, right? Like, I, I just want to break, I just want some peace from it all, and, and everything in me just longed to give that to her, right? Like, I, I long for you to have that, not just because of what's going on in our world with the coronavirus, but just some things happening in her life as well, and so um, I want to navigate this reality through the lens that we see in Philippians 4 as Paul, the author here, is writing a letter to the church in Philippi, a church he loves, to encourage and strengthen them towards the end of faithfulness, okay? And so here we go, Philippians 4, verse 4 says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We get this beautiful reality in this beautiful text, and here's this offer of peace that Paul brings that comes from God, right? This is not an offer from Paul, well, I'll do stuff that'll make you peaceful. He's saying there is this peace that exists, and it's, it's this beautiful, robust reality that's far bigger than just the absence of pain or the absence of hardship, the absence of conflict. It's really this robust reality that peace in the Bible is a the way it should be, right? Like, like peace means the way things should operate in their fullness, when God is king, okay? Shalom is what the Jews would call this reality. This is the peace that is offered to the people of God, offered to creation, and what we get here are the conditions with how we grasp it. So hear me, this isn't do these things so you can earn the peace of God. It's the peace of God has been extended. The people of God grasp that peace through these things. And so we get the conditions and we get the promise to come in a bit. At the center of the conditions is one true necessary foundational reality for the church that shapes everything and is this, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. 
that the center of, hey, do these things, practice these things, live in these things, that you might grasp the peace of God is the Lord is at hand. So what does that mean? Okay, and how, how do we begin to try and grab hold of that reality that we might sit in a foundational way to understand that? What does it mean for the Lord to be both present and still coming? Because that's really what this is, that the Lord is both near and he is coming one day. Right? Like he is both here and on his way at the same time. The Lord is at hand. So Paul encouraging the church in Philippi towards faithfulness in the midst of persecution, towards faithfulness in the midst of trial, is trying to remind them of, hey, all that you might see, let's not truly forget who's king of this world. Let's not lose sight of truly who reigns over this entire creation. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus, in whom all things are held together, in whom all things are formed, in whom all things were created, right? all things for him, by him, through him, is the way this world functions. This is Paul's encouragement in the midst of the craziness of any season, their season, and certainly ours. And some of you come here not just with COVID-19 concerns, but with concerns of just life. Like, COVID-19 just starts to feel like a pile-on of just the realities of your day-to-day. That's like, no, there's these other things. Like, life already feels tiresome and wearisome and full and, 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 and not balanced correctly. And in the midst of all that, now there's this thing that is, that is affecting all of life. I'm going to get to more of the specifics of that in a moment. But at the heart of this, church, hear me. Like, this is massively important for where we're going today and where we need to go when we leave these doors. The Lord is at hand, y'all. Like, he reigns as king now, sovereignly. He authors a better story, and he loves his creation, and he loves his people. There is no one else, believe me, you won't run in the show. But it's not just the hope that we have here and now that it is Jesus Christ that sits upon the throne of the world, but it is also that he will one day return in fullness and every tear will be taken away. Every pain, every discomfort, every lie, every tear that is shed will be done away with. These things for the people of God are not just these trivial lines that we share to each other as pithy statements to say, hey man, it's going to be all right, God's in control. Now I know we often say that and sometimes it can feel kind of like a pithy statement, but we're trying to call each other to is, you know, he really is in control and he's better than you. Because I think when we struggle with the God is in control, it feels pithy because I think we're still trying to hold on a bit of us. But when there's this full let go, this full like, I'm going to allow my mind to wrap around as much as it can, that the God of the universe that loves better than I do, sees better than I do, cares better than I do, lives better, like the whole deal, right? He is the one that's running the show. And he's overseeing your life. And he is the provision that we need. He is the provider of everything you have. Okay, so, and we could run down the list. We can't do, we're not going to do an entire, like, sermon. Well, we should, maybe we should, but just to run down everything that God does that we even breathe today. He's king and he's coming. That's at the center of these four conditions that Paul gives to the church that they might 
be able to grasp the peace of God that is there for us. The first one, rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Why sing? Why praise in the midst of difficulty and trial? Because the Lord is at hand. Because he is both near and coming. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, ready, lacking in nothing. Lacking in, in some things, lacking in nothing. As God, as author, and our near and close king calls us to even in the midst of the trial to move towards joy. And I want, I want you to, like, this is, uh, some of you might be sitting there like, but I'm just not joyful. I get it. And I totally hear that. Um, joy is something to be pursued. Okay, it, it is, it, it's not, hear me, it's not just this emotional thing where you just kind of hope you wake up with it. Okay? Uh, emotions, right? Like, there's this great line by this gal, Jen Wilkin, that I love. She's, uh, she works over at a, a church in Dallas that we really respect, but she has this line that I love. She says, the heart cannot feel what the mind does not know. Okay? The heart cannot feel what the mind does not know. And then a dear friend of mine, Tessa, a gal here at the church, you know, she was uh, teaching at our teaching collective recently, and she added this second line to it, and I love that. It was, so, so Jen Wilkin, right, the heart cannot feel what the mind does not know. Second to that, the mind does not know what the ear has not heard, okay? Uh, the mind does not know. So in other words, like we take in information, right? And that information is what shapes what we believe, and then ultimately it will shape what you feel, Okay, emotions just don't get crafted out of nowhere. They're crafted on beliefs that we are operating on in our mind. The heart cannot feel what the mind does not know. The mind does not know what the ear has not heard. And I added this line, my part of it, the ear has not heard what our favorite media sources haven't told us. And I don't just mean TV or news. I mean whatever people that you trust to give you good advice and counsel. And sometimes that's great. But, but what we're trying to do today, because it's so absolutely necessary, because we don't know where this is going. We, we think this should probably shake itself out after some time, probably. We don't know where this is going. And I can guarantee you this, before the end, it's, it'll probably be far worse than what we see now. What will the church do in the midst of that? What will faithfulness look like for us? And I'm telling you, it's going to come out of what we believe to be true. Joy is something to be pursued and lived in. So when we sing after this, even if it's difficult, it's I'm going to pursue that which drives me to this song. Um, I remember I was, I was in Florida uh, for a few years on staff with Camps Crusade for Christ at their headquarters, and uh, we went to a real small church. There was like 40 of us in a gym, and it was awesome. Pastor Bill Malik, real faithful guy. His oldest son uh, took his own life randomly. They, they weren't expecting it. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And then he was there at church that Sunday. It was like four days after it happened. And I remember singing at the end, and he kind of walks up from the back and gets in the front row, and he puts his hands up in the air, and he looks at, the, he looks at kind of the 40 of us and says, I can't do this. I need your guys' help to praise my God. Okay. 
And, and so then a bunch of us just came and just wrapped our arms around him and sang with him because he couldn't do it himself. Okay. Now, that was, did that in any way, like, does that, does that like, lessen his pain? Does it, does it cheapen the tragedy that happened? No, no, no. It's in the midst of that. God calls us to himself in joy and say, no, pursue this because I am at hand, because I am king and I'm coming. Okay, so church, we rejoice. Number two is be reasonable to all the Lord is at hand. Be reasonable to all the Lord is at hand. Why be reasonable to everyone? Because God is king, you're not. God is coming to redeem the world, you're not. Be reasonable with all. And in a time and in a climate like this, where we are prone to hyperbole, we are prone to wanting to think that the way we view what's happening around us is the only way to view it, we need to be careful and slow down. We need to begin to think of the other. How could they potentially be processing this? Why would they be making the decisions that they're making? Why do they think this about this and vice versa and on down the line? This isn't check your convictions, don't have them, don't think you're right. It's saying, in the midst of that, let us be people who are reasonable with one another. Okay? And we're going to get to this in a moment, but just to foreshadow, this will be a fantastic and amazing and completely crazy apologetic for a world that does nothing but bicker and fight. Because right now, all you do is you look out in the landscape and it's either that person's fault or that person's fault or that whole side's fault or that whole side's fault. And if they just did this, but wait, you did this back then, so we're going to do this now. Like, it is not healthy. And we can get so co-opted into the mess when God is calling his people to live in reasonableness with one another that we might be slow to speak and quick to listen. That we be wise in our approach to care and to shepherd and to be with the people around us. Because the Lord is at hand. Because I don't need to be right. Because God's the king and he's always right. The next one. Do not be anxious. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Now, a lot of times this verse... And it kind of gets taught. Anytime like anxiety raises up, it's like, well, don't be anxious, right? Just, just don't be anxious. The Lord's like, God's taking care of it. And so I don't want this to come across as this trite condition. Like, hey, just, just stop feeling that way, okay? Um, but I do want to call us to what the Bible calls us to, which is to allow our minds to be renewed by truth. To allow our minds to allow themselves to see things rightly, potentially thinking we might see them wrongly, which is par for the course for humanity. So do not be anxious. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. That someone who loves you more than you is in control and you're not. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about this parable where he starts off with this line. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Or will he be devoted to the one and despise the other? You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you drink, nor about your body, nor about what you wear. And he goes on and on about these different things and saying, just relax. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the skies and the heavens. And notice that God provides for them their every need. And how much more does he love you? 
Like, this is Jesus talking to his people. He's like, listen up. Like, hey, you're concerned right now. You're anxious right now. I understand it. But let's allow our minds to take in the reality of the situation that in the midst of this, our God provides for everything, especially his people. Okay. Now, there's also this reality that we see this, this anxiousness and anxiety is often somewhat always thrown under the bus is this always bad thing. And when we see anxiety actually used for goodness in the scriptures, even just two chapters earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is saying that by sending Epaphroditus to Philippi, that he would then be able to be less anxious, that anxiety can be a trigger and a movement towards good things, right? A movement to do the right thing. It is a warning sign that something is not the way it should be. Peace has not been established, so let me pursue God. So do not be anxious, because why? The Lord is at hand. Church, in the midst of the craziness of the world, if you're looking at the stock market and thinking, what does this mean? Now, probably not any of you. Maybe, maybe Curtis. Okay. Um, but for the 17 of you in here that have stocks, okay, <laughs> that have been nervous watching that number, but then the realities of that impact on the economy that that means and, and all that other stuff, like, listen, the Lord is at hand. I don't mean it in a trite way. I really don't mean that in a pithy way. God is in control. Hear me. God is in control. Hear me. God is in control, and he knows better than you or I. First um, Thessalonians 4.13 says this, may we not grieve as others do who have no hope. Again, this advice from Paul to say, like, it's, it's not that there's that grief isn't necessary. It's not that anxiety and these emotions aren't real things we need to navigate in this world. It's saying, but we grieve differently. We sit in the fear differently. The anxieties move us a different direction. Because we have hope, and that hope is established in that the Lord is at hand. He is both near and he is coming. Okay. Um, the last one. Present everything in prayer with thanksgiving why the Lord is at hand. He's near and coming. He's king. He's reigning, and he's coming one day in fullness. So talk to the one that rules the world, and talk to him often. I counsel right, so, many, so many people like, we have the opportunity to meet with, right? and we sit down, and we talk through these things, and, and again, like some of this, I'm not even going to caveat it, I'll just say this, like I'll sit down with a lot of you and say, well, all of these things are just, it's, it's just shambles, and it's this and that and the other, and I, I just say, well, okay, what, let's talk about your prayer life, and I'm telling you, in 97% of the cases, it's non-existent. And now, hear me, that is, this is not causation, correlation type of because you don't do this then. Like, it's not a direct thing. But at some point, church, we need to waken up to the scriptures that tell us over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to talk to our God, to pray unceasingly, to present our requests before him with thanksgiving. 
We have to study and see that throughout the scriptures that the moments where you see God move in such power are often so tied to the prayer of God's people. It's not just this individualistic thing. It's the corporate reality that the people of God, his children, talk to their father. It's just obvious. Like, what relationship is good in your life that you don't talk to the other person? Like, like every once in a while, right? Like, here's, here's the way for a long time, and, and my prayer life has been, right, it's been kind of one of these, right? Like, the trajectory has kind of been up, but it's just been kind of a, right, you get that. Um, I've often thought of my, my prayer life with my relationship with Jesus a lot like my best friend Matt, right? Like, we, we don't talk that often, but when we do, it's awesome, okay? Like, we talk maybe every three to six months, and I wish we did it more, but we don't. But it's awesome when we do, but I'm telling you right now, I'm missing out on a significant portion of my relationship with my best friend. There's things I don't know. There's things that he can't encourage me with, et cetera. You get the illustration, eventually falls through like all of them, but the reality is what relationship in your life is great that you don't talk to that person? Church, we need to wake up that God says, no, talk to me. I'm God. I'm at hand. I'm both near and coming, and I want to converse with you all the time. There's some patterns of life that need to change in us, church, if we are to be the faithful presence of God in this world, which we're going to turn to here in just a moment. Real practically, one of the things, now this, when I wake up in the morning, okay, this thing, not next to my bed, okay, and it has changed everything, okay, like literally everything. If you can find a way to do that, we now have an old school alarm clock at our house, okay, um, these conditions are there for us, not as a checklist, but as just a beautiful reality that as you live in them, verse 7 shows up, which again I'll read for us. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, so the product of living in this, right, at the end goal of this is that the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind. So that, hear me, it then becomes this self-perpetuating cycle. Do you get it? Because the more you do it, the more the peace of God guards your heart and mind, so the more you can rejoice. So then the more you can have your heart and mind guarded by the peace of God so that you might be able to be reasonable. So that, and you get the reality. That God says, here, here it is, y'all. Like it's, and, and there has to come a moment where, where, church, we just open our eyes to what is plainly there. And stop buying into the excuses of why we can't. Okay. Now, that being said, um, James, who we already referenced now, James in his book of wisdom in the New Testament, right? Uh, he says this in chapter four, and I want to turn this from that first angle of church. We need to operate in that. Like in the same way that my friend on that phone call uh, longed for that peace, and I longed to give that to her, it's difficult to give away what you don't have. So that first half is really like, man, how are we living in this, right? But the second half is, are we actually giving it away now, and will we if stuff gets real bad? 
Okay, so here we go. James 4, 13 through 17 says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Is there a blue screen back there? Cool. <laughs> what is, uh, sorry, uh, verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Very encouraging, James. Thank you. Um, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James encouraging people in the midst of, again, heavy persecution that they'd experience in the early Roman Empire, calling the people to faithfulness and then working out this is what that faithfulness will have to look like. And he says, you're starting to worry about tomorrow, but tomorrow is not guaranteed. What will you do today to be the faithful presence of Christ? What will we do today as God's people, as Redemption Church Flagstaff in partnership with the church across this city, which is, this has been, I mean, like, you, you, right, I'm a big silver lining guy because it's just my personality, like very generally hates how positive I am because uh, it's annoying, I guess. Uh, and so... In the midst of all of this going on, I wish y'all could see the, the amount of churches that are coming together, that, that all week long we are in contact with probably 20 to 25 churches here in Flagstaff talking not just about what was going to happen today, but more importantly, what's going to happen tomorrow, okay? Like, how are we in preparation coming together to care for this city should things get real bad, okay? If they don't, great, then we're just prepared for the next thing, or we're just called to love this way all the time anyway. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. Man, this verse has been, at a real heart level, one of the biggest kicks in, kick in the pants. I'm, not, I'm bad with idioms. Whatever it is, it's really rocked my world since the first time I heard it. Because I, I, I haven't mastered the sins of commission, right? The, the sins that I commit that are bad, there's things I still do, absolutely. But I'm better at those than these ones. The sin of omission, in other words, is God has called his people to live a certain type of life for the sake of the other. Generous lives, sacrificial lives, loving lives, etc. When we know we have been called to that life and we say, no, it's a sin. And it's evil and it's arrogant and it is not becoming of the people of God. So, what are some things we need to do? How can we be the church in very practical ways in this season? Because that is our calling. We rail on it all the time. Hopefully, I don't need to do a whole nother spiel right now about why we need to be the church. It should be all the time, but especially in moments like this. The reality is you look across the landscape is even if it's not impacting you in this moment, okay, I, it's impacting people you know, and even if it isn't impacting people you know, it's impacting people you don't know. And the people you don't know are called to be loved by you the same way the people that you do know. 
This is just a reality of the people of God. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. That means we are called to go out and love everyone we know the same way we desire to care for ourselves. We're even called to do that for the enemy. And we've, we've talked about a ton of this stuff, so I don't need to belabor the point. This is who we are called to be. When you look across the landscape of our world today, people are hurting period. That's just a reality. I don't care where you're at in the spectrum. If you think it's worse than it's out there or you think it's better than what everything's, everybody's saying, regardless, people are hurting and we are about people. That's what the church exists for, for God's glory and for his mission to care for his creation. Now, a few things you have, and, and you probably already thought through all this, but just as a reminder that we can rally together in unity as the church here at Redemption Flagstaff. There are people that are dying, so that means there are people in grief. Especially the most vulnerable are the ones, right? So, so the elderly, who oftentimes in our, in our society get cast to the side. Say, hey, well, hey thanks, thanks for the first 65 to 70 years but now go do in your own thing. And that's just, that's not the way the church is to operate, especially in times like this. We're also seeing, right, that in the midst of this, this is affecting industry, it's affecting business, it's affecting commerce and spending. People are going out less. We're being told to go out less. Smaller group settings, so things are being shut down. People are losing money because they can't show up to work. So you have husbands trying to provide for a family, but they cannot go to work because jobs are shut down. Hours are being cut. What happens to that family? You have single mothers that are out there trying to care for their families, raise their children, but now daycares are closed down. Their job is cutting hours. What does it mean for the church to be present there? On and on and on and on are the stories, and they are happening across our nation, our world certainly, our nation, and then our states. And right now in Coco, we've, we've been somewhat immune. Like as of yesterday, I don't know if this has changed, but as of yesterday, there was still no confirmed case of coronavirus up here. Okay. We've been told to kind of live a generally normal life up to this point, but already you can tell as you look across, there's a lot of people not here because of all sorts of reasons. And maybe that reason is just, man, they're fearful. Okay, we don't want to judge that fear. We want to acknowledge that fear, love them in that fear, and say, yeah, but God is at hand right now. And so we're going to be present with you in the midst of that fear. Because what does it mean for us to move in the ways of Jesus? And it's to see people for all that they are and respond with compassion, then action. Okay, so what are some things we can do? Um, practically, uh, I'm going to ask you guys, and we've, I don't know if you've ever done this specifically, I'm going to ask you to consider a gift to the Benevolence Fund, okay? Uh, so already we're starting to help people out in various situations in our city because of not some of the sickness stuff, but some of the byproduct of the sickness stuff, okay? So helping out some families with daycare stuff, helping out families with rent, different things like that. It is a place that the church must be during this season and time, and really always again, but especially during this time. And so I would ask that if you have, and hear me, actually, I'm not even going to say if you have spare money. If you just want to be sacrificial as we're called to, would you consider giving a gift, gift to the Benevolence Fund? Or just, sit, listen, if you, whatever, you don't trust us to spend it wisely, that, okay, then just put some of your own money to the side and spend that for the sake of your neighbor. That's fine, too. It doesn't have to come here. But set aside some of your resource to be a blessing. 
and then keep some of it and maybe add a little bit to it each day. Uh, I was talking to, my, to Finley, my older boy, yesterday about, like, hey, what, if we, what do you think about this? And some of the, he's always, and I've said this before, like he's just always uh, finding change everywhere. Like we were at the Hot Beggars the other day, and he found 26 cents, and we, we stole that. And, uh, and so I didn't realize till we got home. I'll give it back if we need to. Um, but he's always just, he's just out there loading up the Spider-Man piggy bank. And, uh, and so we started talking, well, what is, how do you set aside some of this for, for the vulnerable and for those who are in, who are in need? Um, in the midst of that, hey, there's a reality that some of you in here are that, that, that you have need. Hear me, church, we are to care for one another, primarily. Like, that is of first importance to the church, is that the church cares for the church. And I don't mean this building, right? I don't mean the Sunday service. I mean the people. Like, we are to care for the people here in the church. So if there are needs that you have, please come and present those to us that we might be that for one another. It is an apologetic to the world that says, do you see how the Christians just awkwardly love and support one another? That should be a great win for Christ. And so I would encourage you to to consider giving to that. I would also encourage you uh, to continue to be faithful um, in the areas of life that you are in now with wisdom, right? Because if, if Christians do just retreat and hide in this season, uh, and so this isn't just go out there and be unwise, but this is to say, be present where you think you can healthily be present, because the presence of the people of God is meant to be a salt to the world, okay? So please consider that as you begin, okay, should we or shouldn't we? And I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying, I'm not going to make decisions for your family, right? Like you guys do you for, you, for you singles or whatever it is, like college students, Make decisions that are wise in the midst of it. I'm very sorry y'all couldn't go to California. That was a super big bummer. But Cosmo and Amy said they're going to take you on to Disneyland, I think, when it opens up. So, no, when it opens up. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Maddie is upset. <laughs> it's closed. Jeez, wow. All right, Harry Potter. All right, so um, we are going to put together... Uh, we don't have a name for it, just some volunteers, call it a crisis response team or something like that, that will work in conjunction with our deacon board, uh, that as requests and as needs come up, uh, that we can respond. So not just with the money that potentially you guys can donate, but even your presence, your talents, your gifts, that you can be present with people. And so if you can be part of that team, just stop by the Connect Desk, let me know. We're going to get a roster of people together. We're going to do some training and some different things. We're going to talk about a lot of practicals. And again, this is let's be proactive, not reactive. Because sh- could, could stuff get crazy? Yeah, absolutely. We don't want to be trying to do that later. right? A people of love try and think in advance, proactively love. You can ask uh, any husband or wife, would they rather that their husband or wife does something reactively or proactively? I guarantee you it's going to be proactive every time. Okay. If you have to ask, then I don't want you to do it, right? That type of idea. Some of you are laughing too hard. Some of you. Um, and so we're going to be proactive with that as well. Um, if, you have, uh, if you have friends and family, please let us know that are, that are hurting, neighbors that are hurting. Talk to them. Talk to the church. How can we be present in, in the midst of those moments? Um, if this is you, hear me, if you were the one that went and bought all the wipes out at Target, okay, give me some, okay, just real practical, okay, I went to four stores the other night, we ran out, James is still in diapers, we have no wipes, okay, so that's your fault, okay, so, um, don't hoard, and I mean that, don't hoard stuff, okay, 
especially as Christians. God is the, like, he, he provides for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. You need not hoard stuff. In fact, it was a great sin that the people of Israel hoarded food when God's like, no, I'm providing the manna. So if you have done that, you're loved, okay? <laughs> you're forgiven, okay? Donate that to the church. And I don't mean that in a weird way. We have people asking us if we have supplies. Okay? Bring them by the office. If you did that, okay? So that, this isn't, we're not doing like a toilet paper drive or something. So don't, if, you do, if you didn't hoard it, don't go buy it and bring it over. Okay? We'll, we'll, we'll use some of the funds to do that, all that kind of stuff, that, that type of thing. But if you did, just consider that. Okay? Did you hear about the kid? Uh, he was slinging uh, squirts of hand sanitizer to students in his school for 64 cents a squirt. <laughs> Which is like, how did you come up with 64 cents? And did they cash app you? Like, how did... It's just a weird, a weird thing. Don't do that either, right? So it's just, it seems common sense, but we, we don't do that, okay? Um, a, a, real, a real practical one is things we're looking at. If, if the schools shut down, right, there's just realities that the schools provide meals for kids, okay? And so um, we're, real, we're already in contact with some schools in town about how do we be present in the midst of that to provide meals for families, Okay, if you want to be part of that, let us know. So there's a lot of these different options that are around the world. The last thing I'd say um, in the midst of this about how, to, how do we be proactive in this is there is a massive opportunity. Hear me, church. Um, there's a massive opportunity here for us to slow down. There's a massive opportunity to start to disciple our families really well. Because some things like, hey, you can't go outside or they don't want you to go to this thing and March Madness isn't happening, so right, the, the 20 hours a day, I would have given that, okay? Now the question begins like, well, what do I do with that time? I, hear me, I think this time can be a real gift to the church to slow down, to be present with one another. Certainly, the outward focus stuff, everything we said, that too. But, but in this time, to slow down, I know already as I'm kind of navigating, okay, we're going to be home with the kids a lot more, and, and you know, there's some things that they were supposed to be at that now aren't happening. Okay, so are we just going to, okay, well, that didn't happen, so let's just throw them in front of the TV. Let, no, no, no. We are going to say, no, how do we disciple our children well with this extra time? How, how do we read more? Right? Didn't get a lot of amens on that one, but... What, what, what if, there you go, I don't know who did that, but amen. Um, what, what, if, what if, what if this was a gift to the church that we could see that, man, this could be a season where we could reinvigorate the church's love for the scriptures. Like, man, God, what a gift. Like, we, we can't go do these things. But man, I, I've got the word, and I've got my roommates, and I've got my husband, I've got my wife, I've got my kids. What, what, if, we, what if we concentrate on time? What, what if, because we're able to slow down, because we don't have to rush off to this thing or that, what, what if that actually meant that we could actually start to pray? And, and these disciplines that have been given to us for our joy, for the pursuit of peace, maybe this would be a season where we could really delve into those things. I long for us to be imaginative with this time as well. Because we don't live in fear. We don't live in, like, that's, right, Second Timothy, we, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. You are not you anymore. You are the spirit of God in you.
Um, last couple things I want to say to us uh, as we land this thing. Um, I, I, I don't know what next week could look like. Okay, so uh, a lot of school districts are closing down across the country. There's a, a handful uh, in the valley already have. In fact, we're the only Redemption Church meeting today. I don't know if I already said that. And so in the midst of that, uh, that's why we changed this series as well today. We'll pick up when we're all kind of back up and going. We honestly don't know when that is. Okay. Uh, it might just be us open again next week. It might be all of us. It might be none of us, right? Talking to the other pastors in town, we're all of one accord. Like, if, if it comes down the pipe, like, hey, we need to start shutting this down. That's what's best for the health of people. Then we're going to do that. And then we're going to communicate with y'all some other ideas. We'll move this ser- service digital. We're going to encourage you guys to gather together in smaller groups, right, to be wise in all the precautions that you can. We have plans that are out there. So just be alert to that stuff, okay, uh, on social media, on the website, to just stay up to date on kind of what we're doing and, and where we're at and why that is. Um, the church, right, and, and part of me even feels like there's this huge opportunity right now because the church has become the Sunday moment and it was never supposed to be, right? So, so maybe this is even just a sweet season of grace from the Lord to say it's not just about this. In fact, this, again, we've said it, this is 90 minutes of 168 hours of you be in the church every week. So maybe this is a gift, okay? And so I don't know, so stay apprised of what we're doing. Um, Please stay informed, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you have questions, ask us, uh, and we'll navigate that. And this is, and hear me, none of this is to be alarmist. It's to be wise, and it's to be love, okay? It's to be love. Um, you're loved if you have, uh, if any of that stuff, right, you're living in this worry and fear right now um, that you can't seem to get a grasp or hold of. Like, come and talk to us. Like, meet with us. Be with us. Let's, let's not be too close face-to-face, but we'll eat meals, and we'll talk, right, and, and, we'll, and we'll be together, and we'll be the people of God that we're called to be, yeah? Um, we land with this thing, the Heidelberg Catechism, if you're not familiar with what a catechism is, uh, it's a question and answer way to disciple us, okay, and they were very popular, like, years ago, hundreds of years ago at times, um, have become less popular in, in this day, um, but the Heidelberg Catechism, it's, it, the first day one starts off with this question. And I thought it was a great way for us to end our service as the people of God. And so I'll ask the question, and I'm going to read the first, I think, handful of lines. And then I am going to ask you, okay, and this, this maybe this is weird, but I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you guys to read the last part with me. And we've done stuff like that before, but this one's a little bit longer. So, um, so the Heidelberg Catechism starts off with this very first question. What is your only hope in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. And this last part we'll read together. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love, the peace that you offer us, God. And we ask that you would Be present with us in the midst of our desire to be faithful. 
God, be present with us in our fears, in our anxieties, in our doubts, in our hopelessness, if that arises. God, because you are at hand. You are near and you are coming. God, may this not just be trite sayings for the people of God, but things that we dwell on richly by the power of your spirit, that we think on, meditate on, pray on, share with one another, encourage with one another. God, that we would renew our minds, that we would see clearly, that we would feel what we know to be true, and that is, God, you're in control, that you provide, and that you love your world, your creation. You love me. You love us far more than we even love ourselves. God, we are in the best hands we can be in. God, may we be a light to the world in this season of the way we are at peace, of the, of the peace that we possess, the love we have for another, the provision and sacrifice we are willing to give away for the sake of people we don't even know because you are at hand, because we are your people. God, we thank you for this opportunity. God, I pray, I, just because I feel the need to, Lord, I want to pray for uh, the IV students that were supposed to be in California this week, God, that this week, which would seem like this is not the way it was supposed to be, is the way that it is, and God, you are present. And that, God, you love these students and will disciple these students in this week just like you would have discipled them there. And so, God, teach them, shape them, mold them to be a faithful community at, and presence at NAU. And if there's others that have a similar story, we pray the same thing of encouragement and love. God, bless us as we respond now. You call us to rejoice that we might know the peace of God. Would this be a house of rejoicing and singing and praise for your glory? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.